All right, good morning, and uh, we'll get started. Um, glad you all are here. We're looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we took a, 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 we got a, a little ways in the first few verses, but I wanted to uh, go back and just make sure that we uh, replowed this field just a little bit. I've got, as I told you last week, the patio is bigger than the house. <laughs> So I want to do the application as part of what we do today because I think it's important that we know that. So um, we're going to read um, the first uh, 11 verses of this chapter and um, we'll um, get us a running start here, but we'll go back and spend some time in the first four verses and then uh, Lord willing, as time permits, we'll get into uh, 5 through 11. Um, but let's start with a word of prayer, and then when we're done with that, we'll read, uh, we'll do a Ron Robin reading like we normally do. We'll go over from uh, Denny's table to John's table. John's holding down the fort, man. And then uh, Gary's table and uh, uh, Rick's table, if if we get that far, and then our table if we need it. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word, and we ask that you would open your, our eyes today. We realize that this is a book that is uh, uh, trying to teach us uh, the importance of, of uh, unity and that uh, with unity should come joy. So we pray that you would help us today, Father, to understand and to uh, look deeply into your word, that we might understand your, your plan and your purpose for each of us. Pray the Holy Spirit would re reveal to us what we need today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pick up the reading in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and go through verse 11. All right. Amen. Let's go back and take a look. <clears throat> I love this. Uh, have you ever thought about when you read this passage, this first few couple of verses in chapter 2, it says, if there's any encouragement, and if there's any comfort, and if there's any fellowship, and if there's any tenderness, does that mean that there's not, there's a possibility that there's not? Because if always seems like it's one of those it could be, or maybe it isn't. Is that is that what it's saying here? No. So, so there's only occasionally there there might be comfort in this. There might be encouragement. Is that what is, is that what the passage is saying? I think it's saying, you know, that you received this consolation. Okay. You know that you received this comfort. You experience it. It's just a reiteration or reminding. Okay, all right. So there's a, actually, you could use instead of the word if, you could say assuming there is encouragement and in, assuming there is comfort from his love and comfort in his fellowship, uh, if there's comfort and, and assuming there's tenderness of compassion. By the way, just a side note, not real deep, but just an interesting thing. 
look at that first phrase, if or assuming you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that word encouragement, any idea what that might be in the, in the Greek? It's the same, the same uh, base word that is um, root word that we get, uh, that we use for the encourager. Who is the encourager? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. So you think there's there's encouragement for being so assuming that the Holy Spirit is part of this whole process, assuming that He's there. That's what He's saying here, and and uh, and so we get encouraged, we get exhorted, we get and and look at what joy, what Paul says. He says, "My joy is in the fact that there is like-mindedness." What's another way of saying like-minded? If I, I'm sorry. One mind, agreement, agreement. agreement. In unity in accord. Those are all great. Yeah. So assuming that there's that, huh? So, so if my joy is complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose, how often does that happen? You know, I, I'm, I've often said if you have, you know, two, if you have three. Bible teachers, you'll have four opinions on a subject. We often have a hard time agreeing. And yet God says he wants us to have the same outlook. He wants us to make sure that we are, we're of the like mind. We're of the same, realize that we're of the same spirit and the same purpose. What's, the pur what's our purpose here on earth? God saved us so just so he could take us home to heaven, right? That was the whole purpose of why we got saved. I know some of us might have believed that when we when we came to Christ. There are some preachers that, that that seems to be all they're telling you. You get saved to, to go home. Right? And that's all it is. Serve God. Worship God. Oh, we're supposed to do something? And share the word. Man, oh man. Build his kingdom. Build his kingdom, yeah. Worship God, serve God, build his kingdom. See the advancement of it. Huh. So it means that we have to actually do something. I thought I got to just sit in my easy chair once I got saved. Just wait for heaven to come to me. No? One of you is chuckling inwardly. The rest of you are just sitting there getting real quiet. Hmm. This idea... Like we don't like that? Yeah, no, I know. I like oh, you like... <laughs> yeah, so would I. It's a certain time at night, and I really enjoy being in my easy chair, you know? It just... Kind of hard to, yeah. Get done drooling on myself. In fact, yesterday I was it was so bad that I'd spent almost all day sitting at my uh, in my office, and uh, after dinner I said to my wife, I said I'm I'm taking a walk. I haven't done anything. Um, I haven't accomplished. I, I haven't moved at all. And if I don't, I'm going to have um, you know, I need to get moving. So I went out and took a walk around the neighborhood. Uh, <clears throat> because I, it, we're not here just to sit, soak, and sour. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to use what God's given us. All right, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Hmm. I like that. I don't want to do it, but I like it. Sounds good, right? Yeah, do you know that in the New Testament time frame, the idea of humility had negative connotations. It, it was uh, an adjective that was often employed to describe the meniality of a slave. It, it conveyed the ideas of being base or unfit or shabby or mean or of no account. And so uh, humility was not something that would be a, a virtue that a pagan would want. And isn't it interesting, again, God has this tendency to flip everything on its head. You know, what we think is the, the proper way is not the way God thinks of it. You know, what we tend to think that black is white versus white is black. We tend to think that wrong is right versus right is wrong. We tend to think that, you know, all of the things are backwards in, in God's kingdom. 
And this is what this is true as well. God says he wants us to be humble. Christ's humility is the standard by which we're supposed to evaluate ourselves and others. By the way, I, we think we talked about this a week or so ago. Do you remember how, how what we came up with is the definition of humility? Is it thinking of others first and then thinking of yourselves? Sounds good? Could, could we go a step further? Could we just not think about ourselves at all? Yep, think about yourself. Oh. That's when you realize where you stand before deciding what you're going to do next. Because the position where you are determines the outcome of what you're going to do. The relationship with God, that comes first. You know, if you have to be you, in, in a humble state, you have to realize where you stand in order for him to work through you. That's where humility is shown. Not, oh, okay, you guys look for me. And so, you know. Yeah, we know. Nice. Yeah. No, it comes from, remember the conduct, uh, verse 27, only your conduct be known. And it should be visible. So, humility, it's the result of God working in our lives, in my life. It's not the result of me. Okay, let's see. I'm going to have 15 brothers. I better behave. I'm going to change. I'm going to make a, a different side of myself. So what are you going to see? You're going to see the real Giuseppe today? Or are you going to see a different Giuseppe? I think it could, the question is that often is how, what kind of mask are we wearing today? Mm. You know, it, it's the old story when we go to church, you know, we might fight and fuss and quarrel uh, with our, our family before we get to church. But boy, as soon as we hit the church parking lot, you know, the, the, the face goes on and we start thinking of ourselves in a particular way, and God says, yeah, not so much. I have a question. You have a question. Verse 3. Yeah, exactly. Get out of my way. <laughs> I'm just helping them out of love to understand their with their position, right? Helping them. Is it Paul giving a command, or is giving a suggestion? For where? Nothing. Hmm? Verse 3. Verse 3? <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's not, it's not a suggestion. I'm just saying. Yeah, we're supposed to do this. This is what we're called to do. And then each of you should look uh, not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. He was the founder of the church, right? <clears throat> sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And if the founder of our life is Christ, it's a command. It's not a suggestion to live uh, and to conduct ourselves according to his will. Because we are his representative, supposedly. So, okay. so as, we, as we attempt to figure out how to apply this to our lives, to, our, to the church itself in, in general and to us in specifically, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is the fact that God, uh, Paul is talking about the fact that despite hardships, uh, the, that he wants the people of Philippi, the believers in Philippi, to be united and to also understand that suffering is something that's going to happen. Suffering for the gospel, which is we talked about in, in uh, chapters 1, verses 28 and 29. But, you know, the problem is so often uh, that we today, I'm not sure how often we, here in America that we contend as one man for the faith of the gospel uh, because we're not necessarily suffering the ki same kind of persecution here that they are in other parts of the world. But it is something that we're told to do. And the principles of this passage are relevant both to the occasional direct opposition of Christian that Christians experience for their convictions even here in the in the West, even in the in the, the free world, there's also a, a, 
a, a, an attack that I think is a more subtle way that happens here in, in, in the West. It's uh, um, technology and sophistication of societies that deny the reality of God. Um, you know, sometimes here, in, especially here in the West, uh, the opposition of Christians is not officially sanctioned in our culture. But boy, it sure feels like we're being persecuted at times. To this regard, the Christian convictions are not infrequently ridiculed in the workplace or subtly berated as unprogressive in the academic circles and in the news and entertainment world. The, the, the fact that we are so materialistic as a culture uh, tends to, to trivialize the spiritual realm that we're supposed to live in and we're supposed to have spiritual eyes to see. It's that subtle pressure that you and I face every day in which uh, the, uh, we're, we're tempted to, to just take a back seat, to not speak out, to not, uh, to not be bold with, with our belief system. He's not, saying, uh, he's not expressly saying how we should avoid being frightened, but he's telling us to not be afraid. He says in, in Acts 18, he, it says, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. This is what God says. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Within our context uh, of what we have today, I think it's, it's important that we realize that, uh, that we shouldn't engage in aggressive, offensive behavior against our persecutors. I think instead, Paul is, what Paul is suggesting is that we maintain our composure, that, that, we, that we wait for God to take care of those who oppose the gospel. Remember, we're told not to take vengeance on them. We're told to what? Love them. And, and who, who takes care of the vengeance? Oh, but I, I want to do it. It's okay, God, I got this. You can just take, take a rest, take a coffee break, you know, and I'll take care of it for you. Right? We're supposed to do not take revenge. Uh, Romans 12 says, do not take revenge, my sin, as he says elsewhere. Leave, leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay. Huh. So how are we supposed to respond when opposition comes? Supposed to get mad? Get angry? Romans 12, 20 and 21, and 1 Peter 4, 9 says this. On the contrary, if, you're if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Doggone it. You mean I have to feed If they're thirsty, I'm supposed to give them something to drink? In doing this, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 4 says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should uh, commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. So, so we're supposed to be kind and exemplary in our behavior. How often does that happen? Just asking. Well, yeah. you, How can, about? you can be angry when I sin. Yeah, I, that's true, but that's not what we're asking. We're asking, are you kind and exemplary in your behavior? How about if you're, uh, how about this? If we do things right, we'll end up silencing our opponents. Have you ever done that? Uh, for, uh, Titus 2.8 says, The soundness of speech cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. How often does that happen? I'm talking to myself more than you guys. I just want you to know. I get beat up every time. I, I, it's one of the things that, that I, I'm not always real happy about doing epistles. In, in the New Testament, because I get beat up as much as you do, probably more. Uh, we're supposed, we're, people will even be one to faith by the way that we respond to persecution and oppression. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God, your, your glorify God in the day that he visits us. It's First Peter 2. Continuing in 1 Peter 2, it says, To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Really? So he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So therefore, 
the, the application is we're not supposed to sin. We're not supposed to have deceit found in our mouth. And when they hurled ins insults at him, he did not retaliate. Oh, that's so hard. That is so hard. And when he suffered, he made no threats. I'm going to get you. Instead, he entrusted himself who, just, who, who judges justly. Yeah. So. Talk about persecution of slaves in the West. Yeah. There's a difference here in the West because of the de democratic society, isn't it? We have, it's a little different than what, what the Philippians were faced with in their suffering. The majority of people that lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. They didn't have the ability to go to a voting booth and to change things. Western world. Western world? Well, because even within the Western world, there's persecution for, 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 yeah. for religion in, or for Christianity. Yeah, in, 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 uh, in Canada, there are certain things that you can't speak about from the Bible. If you do, you can be, uh, you can go before a judge. Yeah. There are there are areas, and, and in which case, you know, the, the, in that particular case, it's it's a troublesome thing. I had a, a friend who was a, a pastor in Canada for a while. I asked him how you got around that. He says we just didn't record those services. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure those don't get out, don't, didn't go out on podcasts, you know. Uh, but yeah, there is a there is a sense to which we, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I was reading, doing some study. Uh, the early Christian apologists were eager to persuade the Roman emperor that the policy of Christian persecution was unjust and picked up on this theme of not retaliating. They never tired of pointing out to their detractors the exemplary lives of Christians and their unwillingness out of love to retaliate against those who had wronged them. Huh. There, there's a Christian philosopher who in the second century uh, pleaded the, uh, before the emperors Marcus Aurelius and uh, Lucius uh, Aurelius uh, uh, Commodus uh, to stop their policies of persecuting Christians. But both, he, 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 he asked for both emperors to, to study philosophy, that they had studied philosophy, and he pointed out to them that he made this, this, uh, this, this, these comments. Have that... Um, Despite the, the philosophers uh, and despite the acquaintance that the, the emperors had of their good education and quick minds, have so uh, purified their own hearts as to love their enemies, this is what Christians do, instead of hating them, instead of abrading those uh, who first insult them, which is certainly more usual, to bless them and to pray for those who plot against them. He goes on to say, with us, on the contrary, you will find an unlettered people, tradesmen, old women, who, though unable to express in words the advantages of our teaching, demonstrate by acts of value of their principles. For they do not rehash or rehearse speeches, but evidence good deeds. When struck, they do not strike back. When they are robbed, they do not sue. To those who ask, they give, and they love their neighbors as themselves. Hmm. Sounds an awful lot like Matthew when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, just saying, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Yeah. Digressing a little bit, what, what is it that they can't preach in uh, 
Yes, except they can't talk about homosexuality. They're not allowed to talk about uh, negative about uh, homosexuality. Is one of the big things. So if you go through a passage like Romans chapter one, you have to be very careful. Or some of the passages out of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, it's against the law because they are a, they are a protected. Uh, a recognized, protected uh, minority. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Oh, yeah. Think about Jesus. You know, how he dealt with Pharisees and Sadducees and those people who really opposed him. Mm -hmm. How did he deal with Judas? How did he deal with Peter? Thomas. Thomas, yeah. Yeah. Rick. Christians at large in society is they were on a mission. Mm -hmm. So when you think about their mission, their their goal was different than than basically our Christian society at large. And so that's why everything that they say just makes so much sense is that they wanted to see <coughs> the least of us make it into heaven. Even the guy that uh, got really angry and shot somebody, yeah, and made their the, 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 the deceased family completely miserable. They wanted everybody not only to pray for the for the family, but also pray for the murderer, so that he might um, become reborn and mm -hmm. become a member of heaven. It's and hard so to do when it's, it's too hard to see that. Because Yeah. And it goes contrary to the mission. Yeah. You know, there's... A Yeah, it's a little like, oh Lord, please do something to get their attention. Like, smack them upside the head for me, Lord, or something. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking. We're so busy. It's about me. Wait, look at my degree. Look at what I've done. Here's my accomplishments. Did you see my trophy room? See what kind of athlete I am? You know, we're so busy about ourselves. And that's the, that's that's just the two methods of being 
think about who is the first disciple that you make if you're spreading God's word. First disciple should be you. Because if you can't, if you can't change you or think about the things that will make you different or whatever, then you're not you're gonna have a very difficult time convincing anybody else that in this first this person God's word than anybody else. See what we have to understand, one sin separates us. It doesn't matter how bad the sin is, it's just one sin. And that's where you can split hairs with people. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's one sin. No big sin. Right. It's it's one sin separates us. And we, that's what we have to understand. Okay, if you murder, then it's the judgment of the land that you prosecute and you know doesn't mean you don't have forgiveness, but one sin. And you know, it's not like well my sins are worse than yours. It doesn't matter. It, you know, rebellion is rebellion. It doesn't matter how much of a rebellion rebellion it is. Well, he's not a bad rebellion. Yeah. And I've always, I've always, as I've gotten older and I've, I've thought about what rebellion looks like, in God's eyes, every sin is rebellion because we're going against God's commands. And as king, if you disobey the king and rebel against the king, you have two choices. You're either killed or... You're put out. You're 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 told to go away. You're put out of the kingdom, exile. What what happens with God when we sin? We get exiled from His presence, right? You can't be in God's presence. What else happened? We began to die. The two major things. It, this is what happens to sin, but it was only a small sin. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, it's only. I mean, come on. Wasn't that hard? That's right? what it helps me when I'm praying for that number that, that I'm not any better. The only reason why is I've accepted the grace. You know, I've accepted that I am wrong and that only through Christ that I can be saved. I've accepted that. That's the only, you know, but I'm not any better. You know, it's by the blood is the only reason. I get better the moment. don't say, Phil yesterday beat me up. You don't do that. You say, Father, all of a sudden everything changes because our hearts shift towards God rather than towards the problem. You don't give the dish right away. You go to him. Now guide me. I don't know how to deal, what to do, and so on and so forth. All of a sudden, our countenance changes too. All of a sudden, <coughs> what he did in his hand, not in my hand, because what are you going to do? I'm going to kill it. <laughs> but God wasn't in the killing. It was in restoration. First you, then the other person. It's going to do it in the other person. The problem is if the other person, like you said before, realizes it. That's so simple. I don't say anymore, God bless you to anybody who sneezes. I don't care how long you sneeze. I'm using God's name to bless you. Why? Because he's my father. Why in the world am I going to ask him to bless your sneeze? You're not dying. You're still well. Well, it might have been a leak that just brushed your nose. You know. And I said, no, I have to be intentional. Even in using the name of God, because he says so. Don't use it in vain. Because over here is, uh, it talks about something vain too. Uh, vain conceit, somebody read it, mm -hmm. I think. So he already tells you that anything else that you do under the sun, it's vain. It is going to pass. So let's take a look and see how we can apply this passage and see how far we get to getting through this and getting on to the rest of the chapter. But, you know, since the earliest uh, times for the church, the beginning of the church age, 
the church has struggled precisely with the, what kind of relationship it should have with broader society. Uh, during the first three centuries, the church faced hostility from the people in political power. And the emphasis was on, on the depth of corruption within the social order, which sometimes sounds like what we're going through here to a degree, but authorities that had crucified Christ outlawed the preaching of the gospel. They executed James, imprisoned Peter and Paul, confiscated Christian property, demanded uh, that uh, a Christian, the Christians worship them. Sounds an awful lot like what's going on in certain parts of the world today where China says, no, you can't, we're gonna confiscate your property, we're gonna tear down the church in North Korea, you can't worship God. You have to worship the family, of the first family, because they're there to be worshipped. Later, matters went from bad to worse because the official regime started doing things like, oh, throwing Christians to the lion's den, using them as torches if they needed extra light for their parties, you know, in the gardens. Um, they, they, they did this, supposedly uh, the problem was that uh, they destroyed scripture, uh, they supposedly, uh, uh, their non-traditional notions of an unseen God and a crucified Lord threatened the order of the empire. They didn't like it. In such a situation, the, Nor uh, the New Testament writers and early Christian fathers uh, wisely stress that the alien status of our believers as believers we're not citizens of this world we're citizens of the next if at best we have dual citizenship and the problem is one some of us want to keep one citizenship more important than the other and the problem often is we take the we choose the wrong one so by the time uh, the fourth century rolls around, the official persecution pretty much subsides. There's, there's, a, there's a, a rise and fall, kind of a bit of a roller coaster ride in the fourth century for a while, but eventually becomes to the point where uh, Christianity is open for being able to worship how they want. In fact, they start, the government starts giving them buildings, recognizing them as an appropriate religion and if it becomes the religion of the emperor, well, if you want to get in good with the emperor and have your business prosper, you better become a member of his church, you know? So uh, sometimes the result of this was that the governing authorities were viewed as divinely appointed keepers of the social order who occasionally needed to hear advice from the church. And that was kind of... Catholic way of doing things and my opinion is that the Orthodox way was a little more than just occasional they really made sure that the, that the church bowed to their ways just like the Catholics tried to early on in, in you know in some of their perspectives early on was an issue that now the result of that is that out of that comes another group and sometimes the guardians of the kingdom of this world whose affairs were wholly separate from the church uh, that was the Lutheran tradition, and sometimes the sinful authorities over sinful so social structures, both of which the church was called upon to reclaim for the God, for God and, and of all creation, that was the Calvinist approach. Everyone has an approach as to how they're going to approach the government. Is one right and one wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Until it reaches the point where it says, you know, you choose which is it better for us to obey you or God, as the apostles ran into in, in uh, the disciples early twelve in uh, Acts chapter four, I believe. So many believers today are heirs of of all three of these major traditions, and uh, perhaps they're predisposed to view biblical evidence in light of their uh, of their own heritage. It, it, it complicates the network of alliances and tensions between church and social order in the turn of this, now the 21st century. And it's more important to appreciate the traditions of the past, but to look again 
to the biblical evidence in order to gain a direction in our own time and our own culture. Now, one of the problems is that often Christians have been marginalized, and specifically a group of Christians have been marginalized. And it's a, a group that is called the fundamentalists. Uh, they're made fun of in, in academic circles, popular press. The 20th century described Christians as uh, bent on resisting. Uh, they, they didn't like the way that fundamentalists were. Uh, they made fun of them. They, they, uh, they referred to, uh, and the, the problem with referring to Christians as fundamentalists is that they then applied that same term to another group. What's the other group? One that we're all, we all think is wrong. The Islamists. The fundamentalists of the Islam movement. Religion, right, they're bad. And what happens is, what do we do with, what do we do with, with, the, with Muslims in general? We think they're all bad because they're Muslims and they must be fundamentalists, right? Say a, a name off a, a group. See if it what we think of Westboro Baptist. Someone said crazy. <laughs> remember the Westboro Baptist? You don't remember them? They were the ones that were out there picketing every soldier that was buried. We all thought they were crazy. And we started saying everybody that's a Baptist is that, you know? You know? And the problem is that often what we did is we 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 tend to associate based upon conservative Christians specifically were pegged as being fundamentalists and then we're tied in with the same term that Islamic terrorists are used, despite the fact that they're totally different in their approaches in general although Westboro Baptist sometimes made me wonder sometimes, um, but was once what was once a self-designation. We were proud in the early 20th century, those that were ultra-conservative in their faith proclaimed themselves as fundamentalists. It was a positive thing from their perspective. But the world has transformed that into a, into a slur word. It's a process in which a large number of Christians have been marginalized. Listen to this. At first of all, this may seem irrelevant to Christians who do not consider themselves fundamentalists and agree to, the large, to, to a large extent with wary attitude of the secular press and the academic uh, academy, excuse me, uh, towards fundamentalism and uh, the fundamentalist movement. The critical point, however, is that many non-Christians within those secular institutions fail to make the fine distinctions between Christian groups that Christians usually understand instinctively. To many, fundamentalist Christians demonstrate the social and political tendencies of Christianity in generally, and the fundamentalists only provide an excellent illustration in their view of why Christians cannot be good scholars should uh, not be involved in pol politics unless they somehow sequester their religious thinking from their scientific and political thinking. Is that not true? Is there not a lot of people in the secular world that think that? If you're a Christian, you must think that way. It's becoming more and more apparent. All right, do we need to flee from it? Now, here's the thing. Is it as as people in, in, a, in a Western society, in, in a place where we have much more freedom than, than certain parts of the world, 
Are we supposed to create an anti-defamation league like the Jews did? Is that, do, do we start a Christian Democrat party? Is that what we do? Do we do a moral majority group? Is that what we do? Is that how we, is that how we in order to protect our, our interests and to fight back against detractors, is that how we do it? <laughs> Rick, you had a comment? Um, I think many of us could agree that uh, in Christian society, um, the vast majority put their, their, their religion into a compartment. Yeah. So typically, when it's time for service, you can put on your Christian hat. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get in your car, it's done with and dirty back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, somebody cuts off somebody after they leave service. That's nice. <laughs> you know, who knows what could happen, you know? Yeah. But it's the compartments, and, and I think men compartmentalize more than the women do. I think women are a little bit more non compartmentalized. True. True. So, yeah, I, I think unfortunately we all are. And part of this has to do with understanding culture. Within uh, our Christian faith, we have to understand culture in order to understand how people respond. And often our philosophy, sometimes even our theology, is based on our culture versus our theology changing our culture. This is, this is something that I've had to struggle with when I started teaching on different cultures and I started teaching in different cultures. It, it was hard. It, it was hard because there are a lot of times I, don't, I didn't understand and I don't understand a particular culture. And sometimes it's cultures within the same country. The culture of the South versus the culture of the North versus the culture of the West whites versus blacks versus Asians versus Native Americans, totally different culture. Is it possible for someone of a different culture to get it wrong about what they, what the person of that culture believes? Very possible. I've done it, you know? And it's, it's a struggle when I was in India uh, I recognize that that leadership, understanding of leadership, is vastly different over there than it is here. You know, and so when you start teaching on leadership and what it means to be a leader, is that you don't get served, but you serve. Oh man, that's that's hard. That's hard here 
let alone in a, in a culture that's still steeped in, in castes, even though they're outlawed, supposedly. Yep. Or anything else. Yep. This precedes all of that. Yes. This, exactly. This being like a Yeah. Um, the fact that he knew he was God. He knew he was the son of God. And he knew all the privileges and powers that came with that. Yeah. And he just said he did he was the son of God. We're going to get into that next week, I think. <laughs> hey. Let me ask you this, as we kind of start to wrap this up. We still got about 10 minutes here. What are we supposed to strive for? What are we supposed to fight? Are we supposed to fight against something or for something? Are we supposed to strive against something or for something? I strive against my sinful nature. Okay. I strive to be like Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can people, How does that work? Can, and can are we capable of changing ourselves? I need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I pretty much can tell you that I've tried to change myself. I am a poor changer of myself personally. Oh, it does, but it, but, but the power is always. But it always comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do anything in our own, in and of ourselves. It's a mistake when we think that we're that we can change ourselves by our own power, by our own strength. We can desire it. Paul says in in Romans. Remember what Paul says? He says. I want to do right. I just have a hard time doing it. I got the best of intentions. I'm going to start on my diet tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy it today. Yes. We worship God as a result of what he has done. We don't choose to worship him simply because we decide that we're going to worship God. No, we respond to who God is and what God is doing in our lives, God always initiates. We always respond. And that's the part that we have a hard time with is that as, as, as a Western society, we don't like that. I want to be the one that's in charge. It's me. It's all about me. You know, I want to sing this. It's all about me, Lord. It's not about you. Right? Because I'm the one that's doing it. But every time I do it in my own power, in my own strength, I fail. Now, it's okay that I have that desire. I absolutely agree. It starts with the mind. It starts with the heart. But it ends up being that if I try to do it on myself, I want to be just like Paul and go, I tried it, and I just can't do it. How do we achieve it? How do, we, how do you get willpower? How do you develop, how do you develop a, a habit? Practice. Practice. It, it, we we talk. You want to you want to know how you develop faith? It's called. It's the same thing as muscle memory. You know, you, you do something often enough, it becomes second nature. When you first start doing something, it's hard. It it, it doesn't always come easy. Now I have a tree to be like. Mhm. Yeah. Yep. That's true. That's true. Exactly. I totally agree. We have to be like Christ, but we cannot do it in our own strength. It has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my problem is, again, 
Uh, unlike a, a friend of mine here who had to get struck by lightning to hear a voice. No, I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, I, I have a tendency to miss the still small voice. Part of it is that I, I, I don't get quiet enough before God. And so God has to nudge me and shove me and hit me with a two by four. And maybe occasionally hit me with a lightning strike. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't. It comes out of the person's mouth and go, oh my gosh, God's telling me something there and he's telling me through him. That's right. <laughs> almost, almost like Balaam and the donkey, right? Like Balaam and the donkey where the donkey speaks and you're going, sometimes there have been donkeys that have spoken to me. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> I don't know who you, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers, but. <laughs> 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 I read something the other day where it said that where John said that leading to his son about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey. And um, he said to his son, well his son said, Well he said to his son, Jesus is always with you. And the son looked at him and said, Well, where is the donkey? Christianity and Christ. All right, let's let me close out with 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 something from. Uh, and again, I mentioned uh, I have a Bonhoeffer biography. That's an excellent biography. If you haven't read it, it's yours free. Any of the books on here, feel free to take whatever's there. But this is how do we pra how practically can we curb the temptation of asserting our rights over others? Think of our, our think of others in first. So Bonhoeffer had some suggestions which I thought was kind of interesting. This is what he said: Christians should hold their tongues, refuse to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother. Number two: cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul are the greatest of sinners and can only live in God's sight by his grace. Number three, Christians should listen to long and patiently so that they will understand their fellow Christians' needs. I tend to fail on that one a lot. <laughs> Christians should refuse to consider their time and calling so valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or how menial. When I was in the pastorate, I always tried to do my sermons at least a week in advance. And then I would let them, let them percolate inside me for a while. But that was so that if somebody interrupted me in the middle of the week and needed something, there was an emergency, something that had to happen, I could go and, and I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to decide what was more important. The person was always more important than, than, the, than my study time. Uh, okay, uh, number, uh, next one. Uh, Christians need to bear, uh, bear the burden of their brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. Hmm. Christians were to declare God's word to their fellow believers when they, heard, when they need to hear it. <laughs> and lastly, they, Christians need to understand that Christian authority as, is characterized by service it does not call attention to the person who performs the service. That's probably the, one of the toughest things today is that in the West is that we have a temptation to want to follow personalities versus to follow God. And so our, our call, our goal, our desire, God, our help is only through you and we desire to be, consider others better than ourselves 
And how that works out in your life and my life, we'll see how that works this week, shall we? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And I, I, Father, I have to admit, I, I teach a passage like this, and I get so beat up throughout the week. I realize how, how much of a failure I am. I have every desire in the world to be like Christ. And I have the hardest time when I choose to try to do it in my own strength versus to do it in your strength. So I pray you to help help me to listen to the Holy Spirit, to follow his lead, to develop spiritual muscles by exercising my faith this week and by learning to put others in front of me. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.